0: Welcome to the Privateer Podcast, an educational and informational podcast brought to you by the folks at Privateer Rum. I'm Maggie Campbell, and I'm the president and head distiller at Privateer Rum. And today I'm in conversation with Zan Kong of Worthy Park. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Zan. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's so great to be getting this time together, to collaborate together when we can't actually be together because of the COVID crisis. Usually by now we would have gone on a few trips together, had some great meals together, done some educational events together, and I think I'm definitely missing that time. So thank you so much for being here.
1: No, the pleasure's all mine and you're absolutely right. I feel like we saw each other in Miami in February we probably had plans to see each other and I guess the next big event would have been Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And by now, what are, I don't even know what month we're in, but I'm sure there, there's already about three more events that we probably would have crossed paths at. So.
0: Right. <laughs> right. We would have gotten all our time together. And-
1: yeah. But thankfully yeah. the Instagram algorithms keep you at the top of my, uh, my feet. So I, I feel like I'm with you and connected with you at, uh, all the time.
0: Oh, me too. You're always like on my stories. It's like you, Kate Perry, Ashton Perry, like always the top three. They're like, there's a new story from your people. And I'm like, yay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, It's a balance, uh, but Instagram throws it at the top all the time.
0: Well, for people who maybe don't know your official position, um, would you introduce yourself to what it is you do in the rum world?
1: i mean i'm probably one of those people that don't really know what I do in the real world <laughs> um, i now i officially i actually just changed my position uh, so i'm the commercial manager for spirits at worthy park estate um under prior to that and how I know most you know, how I know you and how i've met most of the people I do is because I was solely in charge of the uh export program for worthy park so I handled all the, you know, the glamorous and fun stuff, like visiting amazing bars and restaurants in the world, uh, traveling across the globe to different events and shows, and rum-focused and bar-focused and spirit-focused events. Uh, but then I also did all the not so fun back of the house stuff, and you know, finding new distributors, setting up new distribution um, partners, you know, doing analyzing all my financials and doing spending a lot of time in front of spreadsheets and emails and all the uh, stuff that has to happen, but isn't the most glamorous. Uh, but it's been interesting because I've been able to, I think, as you said, the place in the rum world, I think just being able to work for a brand that is based in Jamaica, Jamaican owned, um, you know, I get to promote not only the rums that we have, but brand Jamaica and the history and the culture and the heritage that we do, um, that we have in, on the island.
0: Absolutely. I don't even know if I
1: answered. I don't even know if I answered your questions, but you I totally
0: said, uh, did. You totally did, and congratulations on the promotion. I'm really excited for you. Um, Thank
1: you. No, I'm. I'm super stoked. It was it kind of coincided with my my five years at Worthy Park, so it was a nice uh, a nice way to celebrate that anniversary.
0: Good. Well, good. You've earned it. I'm very jealous of part of your promotion. You get to live at Worthy Park. The photos are amazing. It's like heaven on earth. How are you adjusting to life there as opposed to Kingston?
1: Oh man, I mean, first of all, I don't have an hour commute to get to the (laughs) office. Um, I'm like 30 seconds. And, And if I take the truck, I'm like literally 30, 45 seconds I'm from my house to the office. Uh, It's great. I mean, I lived in the city for a long time. And before that, I was living in a lot of the resort cities. But man, being out in the country and, you know, like it's, it's in Jamaica, I would say like, I live in a bush, but it's literally like, you know, I'm surrounded, I'm 12, what we're 1200 feet above sea level, surrounded by mountains, we're off the beaten path, so to speak, but it's so peaceful. And it's really, you know, a lot of the families that live at Worthy Park have lived here for you know years and you know go back a couple of generations. So it's really, you know, we're we're like a little bubble in in the central part of Jamaica, but it's just peaceful and beautiful and you know everybody's super friendly and, and really nice out on this side. Not that people aren't as nice in Kingston, but everybody you know Kingston's a big city. So people are going about their business. But you know, living on the estate, you know, everybody everybody's business is where they park. So it's <laughs> it's really cool. You know, to live amongst every and work amongst everybody, Um, it's fun, man. I love it.
0: Yeah, I think that really intense clarity of like being in community with each other is something, um, you know, I live on a farm out here, uh, right near privateer and out here growing up in LA, which is, you know, a a metropolitan city, just like Kingston, where people come and go, they come for work, they leave, they move on. Um, Everyone's got their own thing. And here it's like, I kind of had to learn, you know, when someone comes by, you have to stop, sit down, how are you doing? Like you really, like you have these relationships with people. Like you said, it just, it feels very purposeful and very intentional um, in a way that, you know, you don't have to see everyone you pass in a day uh, living in a big city, but when you're out here, you really see everyone you pass in a day. I imagine it's similar there.
1: Oh, definitely. Cause you know, living, I live on the estate and it's a, uh, you know, we're an operating estate. So we have, you know, the farm, we have the factory, we have the distillery, we have all the office staff and administration staff and support staff up here. So it's really cool. And then, you know, it's great for you know, raising kids out here. Cause like we even though we had a lot of yard space in Kingston, like here is I mean, it's it's great. And my kids are, you know, barefoot and climbing every tree they can and you know, running wild amongst the place. So it's it's I couldn't imagine for you know raising them in a in a a better location
0: (laughs) how soon did they climb their first palm tree at their new home
1: oh before we even moved in like as soon as we were (laughs) as soon as we came up as soon as we came up to visit like sunny's it's her mission to like find a tree sunny's my five-year-old um and she just loves climbing dude and she just you know from the breadfruit trees we had a cocoa tree which she climbed but you know you shouldn't they bloom on the, the branches, so you can't really, she shouldn't climb those ones, but, you know, breadfruit trees, mango trees, pear trees, citrus trees, what, if there's a tree, she's going to try to climb it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love it's it. Like, yeah, it's, never, it's,
1: never, it's never a dull moment. Like, you have to, when you're looking for you, you really, literally have to look up sometimes to find out where she is.
0: Look up or try to hear for the motorbike engine in case she's taken off on the motorbike.
1: On the dirt bike, yes.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) A a reality.
0: I love it. She's such a tough girl. Um, Awesome. Well, I also love that. I think one of the coolest things about Worthy Park that, you know, whenever anyone's asking me about sugar cane or molasses, I always end up talking about is the fact that you guys truly are a state you know, it is a state cane, it is all single origin, you, you know, Worthy Park Sugar supplies all of the Worthy Park molasses for the Worthy Park rum, and uh, I think that's really cool, and you are side by side with your cane cutters, you see them, you know them, Um, and I think that people who don't know how a lot of molasses is bought and sold on the global market for most rum producers in the Caribbean, don't understand that, you know, like, that same relationship may, may not be true, um, so when I have a question about sugar cane, or cane cutting conditions, or worker conditions, I ask you, because you see these people, you work with them, There, are it's not anonymous molasses that could be kind of from anywhere, um, depending on how the broker market is going, so, I think that's really great you guys have that. Um, could you talk a little bit about the sugar and sugar side of the business and, and how it connects and um, that sugar gets sold over within the different branches of Worthy Park into the distillery and, and what it means to be working with you know, these cool single plots of these different varietals from different you know, terroirs or altitudes or hillsides?
1: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, for lack of a better description. It's, it's
0: fucking cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And, and it's a story that, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talk about in the rum world. And I think it's almost, there's a couple of reasons. One, it's, you know, people are, I think, don't know how to talk about it because of, you know, the connotations or the objects that people think about when they think of, you know, slavery and what its impact on the Caribbean. but I think also not a lot of people can talk about it because they don't have it. You know, like uh, there's not a lot of single estate producers in Jamaica anymore and there's sure as hell not a lot globally. So I think there's a little bit of ignorance of being able to talk about it, a little comfort about talking about it. And most of all, people just aren't, don't have the ability to to speak to it anymore um, because rum is like you said, a a lot of the, the raw material, the molasses is not from, the estate, and it's almost never from the country that is being produced. Yeah. So here, you know, we're we're fully integrated, vertically integrated, and you know, we have about ten thousand acres total land, uh, four thousand acres of land um, that's devoted to sugarcane. So we're we're only a sugarcane uh, farm, and you know, from there we have. You know, we've been doing sugar since 1720 in our sugar factory commercially. And we're, we're the largest um, sugar producer. We have been the largest sugar producer in Jamaica for the last three years. And this year will be the fourth. And um, the way I think you asked a little bit about how sugar works in Jamaica. uh, Prior to a few years ago, all the sugar producers in Jamaica would sell their sugar to through Uh, basically a marketing agency, which was uh, Jamaica cane Producers. Um, And so all the sugar would be kind of bought centrally. And then some of it was exported to, um, you know, we had buyers in Europe, mostly. Some of it was exported there for, uh, they would use it um, to make refined sugar. And then some was sold locally. But as a producer, you never really had, you never really had a say of what was sold what percentage of your sugar was exported versus locally. And the reason that makes a big difference is because contrary to what a lot of people think, we actually are able to sell our sugar for a higher price in Jamaica than we are overseas. So we never prior to, you know, a few years back, we never really had control of it. Uh, The government loosened uh, the monopoly of that and allowed um, sugar factories to directly market their sugar. So there was a couple that jumped out right away. Um, actually, Worthy Park and Appleton were the last two to remain with, you know, the sugar marketing um, arm. Uh, but last year was the first year that we pulled out. I guess sorry, it was the last year of us involved in it. So it was the first year that we moved towards selling Worthy Park branded sugar, and now we were in you know control over what we sold uh, locally versus export and. You know, with the state of the sugar industry in Jamaica, you know we had six factories up until about two years ago. No, sorry, we had six we have six factories in Jamaica, but only three are in operation this year. Um, the others have closed due to you know not being able to be profitable in the sugar industry. so it, all this to say, yeah, the sugar industrys changed a lot, um, but you know proudly at Worthy Park, we're still a profitable sugar company. We're still investing in the sugar industry in Jamaica. Uh, We built a bagging facility about 2017, 18, we built a bagging facility uh, to do 50 kg bags. Uh, This past, last year, you know, we built a last crop. So the start of this year's crop, we installed um, two new bagging lines to do smaller bags um, of sugar at the estate. So we're putting money back into the sugar industry, uh, which is important for us, uh, for our history, for our heritage, obviously for our, our business. And you know we employ a ton of people. You know We have, during crop season, about 800, 850 employees. Um, it drops down a little bit once crop is over. And, and crop in Jamaica is for six months of the year. So the first six months is when you can process sugar, um, process sugarcane for sugar so we have you know 6 months of, of the year to to kind of make as much sugar as we can um and then for the other 6 months a lot of the a lot of the cane cutters especially you know, move back to other they can stay and work you know reduce schedule or a lot of them have you know other farms that they take care of or other jobs that they do in the off season so you know we still support you know a lot of people in a lot of communities and you know where where we're located on the island you know there's really no other Employers in the area. Yes, we have a community shops and village and, and stuff, but in terms of big employers, you know, there's nothing really else around us. And yeah. a lot of, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here, but no, it's amazing.
0: great. It's totally great. It reminds me a lot here. We have a lot of people who like do landscaping all summer and they save all that money and then all winter they live off of it. They might do side work for extra, but they love it because then they get time to do their own stuff. Um, it, it's a really, there's a big seasonal workforce up here where I live in coastal New England. Summer is a big time. People work really hard. They save all their money. And then everyone kind of chills all winter. And it kind of, I've definitely speaking to some of the people I know from actually working in farming, uh, it's, it's very similar. Um, so I totally get that.
1: Yeah, I think I, you know, I think a lot of a lot of our our cane cutters, you know, have have farms or live elsewhere on the island as well, so they travel in for the for the six months and work. And I think uh, you know, talking about New England farming, there's a lot of a big part of our, a big part of Jamaica. Sorry, I should say a big contingent of Jamaicans travel overseas for the farming program every year. So a lot go to the states, a lot go to Canada, and you know, like you said, they work for. Whatever six seven months and and you know make a lot of money and are able to send back and support their families uh, based on these these programs.
0: Yeah, here in New England, there's kind of this famous book, uh, "Cider House Rules," and uh, I don't know if you've heard of it or seen the movie with Erica Badu. Um, no, I
1: haven't. I haven't actually. She's
0: amazing, and yeah, it's about sort of these um, black farmers who travel with the seasons, and they come north for apple season um, you know, when other crops are not being grown or harvested, and of course it deals a lot with, like, racism and issue, and class and violence, um, yeah. of course, but, you know, it's interesting every time I kind of go to an apple cider festival up here, I'm like, I've read cider house rules. I know who made cider. (laughs) Like, are we being exclusionary? Cause yeah, but yeah, there's definitely a long history of that migrant farmer tradition. Like you said, being able to work one crop um, at the equator and then moving up as seasons ripen um, is really common. It's still common.
1: Yeah, huge. I mean, and I think, again, not to get into a whole different subject, but I, I, I don't think a lot of people in this in north america i should say realize who's who are the hands that are actually picking their crops yeah um, because yeah. even though it's a, you know it's american produce but yeah you know, who's 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 the labor who's who's picking it yeah and but again that's a whole another that's a whole another podcast <laughs>
0: this is why uh, i love you is we always yeah. we always go there and yeah the farming tradition in america especially continental north america was always You know, American Indians teaching people how to not starve to death by farming. Um, And then, of course, uh, enslaved farm workers um, who, you know, that's the foundation of American agriculture. And we see the cartoon of a farmer, right? And it never looks like those people. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah, actually, (laughs) go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say, it's it's interesting and complex and confusing and uncomfortable, but yeah, you know, it's the history is 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 there. Um, yeah. and it's important for people to, to do the do the research and, and just understand, you know, where where they're coming from. And I kind of traverse that back into rum because you know, it's important for people, you know, there's there's modern day rum making which is much different than it was historically, but it's always important to know where know where you've come from and know where the history of, of what you're what you're enjoying.
0: Yeah, and the things that we just never address about the history that continue. Um, This is a much easier example for us to talk about, but I know that you and I have both engaged in a lot of discussions about rum classification. I'm always getting asked, how would I classify rum? And my answer is often, I don't know that I have the exact answer for how to classify rum, but I know how to not classify it. Uh, yeah. and that is by yeah. <laughs> the colonial classification. I think that it's really ineffective, it doesn't hold information, and it's actually incorrect. So for people who don't know, um, that would be saying that there's French-style rum, British-style rum, and Spanish-style rum, when obviously like when, most importantly, something I love that Ashton Berry pointed out at Miami Rum Fest this year, was that it erases the labor. When you say British rum, you're not thinking about cane workers in Jamaica. Um, yeah. you're erasing the labor and Jamaica is not part of Britain. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's a big myth.
1: <laughs> there's
0: a, yeah, there's like a big myth that the, um, the styles come from that and that's just not true because Spanish rum would include Venezuela, which is really, really different than Puerto Rico and Haiti's rum is really different than Martinique and it's lazy. It's inaccurate. Ah. It's bad. So what are your thoughts? I know we've talked about this a lot. I know you have a lot well, more yeah. to say.
1: <laughs> I, um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think it's a very, lazy easy fallback um in grouping rum and classifying rum but it doesn't like it doesn't tell you shit you know about (laughs) anything And again i think the inherent problem in in rum is that because it's such a wide range of styles out there yeah it's hard to come up with a good classification because yeah, you know, what are you classifying by? Are you making? And again, for me, it's like, are you making it easier for? I always use my example, like my mom. Like, if my mom went into a liquor store, you know, would she be able to look at a rum shelf and and know that a style of rum that she's looking for for somebody based on what's there? And right now, like, fuck, I don't know. Probably, probably not. I mean, definitely not because there's no there's no breakdown. It's just rum. But yeah, you know, we you can look at more technical classifications, like obviously uh, the Gargano Seal one, which, came, which was uh, promoted a few years back, which came out and was a really, I think, thorough way of, of not without its issues, they all have their challenges, but it was a very thorough way of, of classifying rum, but it was also a very technical way. So while it may speak to people who are you know, already well-spoken uh, in rum, it, it wasn't necessarily easy for um, or welcoming for people who weren't you know, familiar with it. or again when you look at how we compare all the time we talk about how whiskey is has been able to be defined by country uh predominantly by country uh correct me if i'm wrong uh predominantly by country because it's it's an understandable way for people to under to to grasp um, the similarities that exist within a specific country and a lot of it has to do with the the rules and regulations of those specific countries, so when you look at you know obviously scotch is on its own, but there's this specific way that scotch is made, which is unique to Scotland right mm-hmm. but within that there's certain geographical um differentiators, but you know when you look at a colonial system, and your point was bang on um you know if you look at a Spanish style, like what the hell does that even mean, right like yes these countries were unique and they were all colonized by the Spaniards at one point, but hell, you could probably say that, you know, they eat a lot of cassava. So why isn't it, why don't you classify it by call it cassava producing rum? I don't, you know, which has nothing to do with anything, but it's my point with the colonial classification. It has nothing to do with anything. Right. And
0: (laughs) Mexican rum is different than Venezuelan rum is different. Yeah. And, and what is wrong with using accurate language? and saying this is jamaican rum
1: because you know there is more similarities between a jamaican the jamaican rum producers than there are with us in and saint lucia and and us in i don't know barbados for example guyana and trinidad right like we're all we're all we would all be technically english style right because Mm -hmm. we're english but you know there's no confusing us and the other islands because you know, we're all making Jamaican rum based on the, the laws of the land in Jamaica, right? So, right. Just
0: like yeah. Scott Scotland and Scotch versus. So why wouldn't
1: you just say, "Yeah, this is a Jamaican rum." Yeah, this is Barbados rum. It's not perfect, and it's not supposed to be, because we're all different producers. We're not producing, you know, homogeneous products. Like we're we're all different, but there's enough similarities in in how we all make rum on the island uh, to to classify Jamaican rum, right? As, right. as its
0: own, and it can only supply more information than saying "British," which supplies no information and is factually inaccurate. I, I just the attachment to that classification system. It feels like it's about something else, and. That is not a rock I want to look under. Um, (laughs) It seems real unpleasant, like this fetishizing of this of this colonization. Um, Anyways,
1: I mean that's where yeah you can't, and it's not to say that I I am ignoring the history because you know I love history and I believe there's you have to understand and respect your history, but it doesn't mean that. How we identified as a country in, you know, the 1800s is how we want to what we want to be identified with now. I mean, there's no, there's nothing else in the world that looks at the colonial uh, history of a country to define a certain product that comes out of a country. Like I don't know, like someone, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know <laughs> any other industry that would look at something that's produced in, the, in a specific country and and classify it based on who was
0: a colonizer
1: yeah hundreds of of years ago i don't understand yeah
0: blue mountain coffee is not considered british coffee right like we would all laugh we would laugh hysterically if someone tried to call blue mountain coffee british coffee
1: yeah it's it's crazy because i mean yeah, it just doesn't fucking make sense. And Am I allowed to swear on this? Am I allowed to swear?
0: Uh, we always get the gray E, so don't worry about it. You go for it.
1: Okay, yeah. Just, <laughs> I don't know. It, it kind of, uh, it really grinds my gears. But, uh,
0: <laughs> I love it, Dad.
1: It uh, really grinds
0: my gears. <laughs>
1: it's like we are, you know, if you know anybody from the islands, like we are all so proud to to fly our flags and say where we're from, you know, whether you're from Cuba, Jamaica, Barbados, Turks and Caicos, Bahamas, every island is so proud. Uh, people of the island are so proud to 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 tell you where we're from. Like, why would we want to like shed that and classify us as you know who 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 the colonial powers were in of the island, yeah. right? And I think you know. I think Miguel said it best. You know, Miguel from Gay, um, okay. who you know, one of my one of my big my big cousins in this industry. Like, he said it the best on one of these chats. He's like, "Like, why don't you just ask the people from the islands like what they want their rum to be called? Like, why don't right you just there. ask the producers? You know, like, I'm sorry if you if it's if it's harder or, or more work for somebody to um, refer to." a r- Mount Gay rum as a Barbados rum than an English rum, but I'm sorry. I'm not yeah. sorry. I'm sorry <laughs>
0: that's so hard for you. Oh, yeah. I-, I thought we were intelligent. but
1: Yeah, I mean, like, and it's the common phrase in these days, like, just do the, do the work, man, like, and listen to people, like, telling you what and what they want, how they want their product to, to be defined or, or called, right?
0: Absolutely. I don't know. You are amazing. You totally You nailed it. Like, what... Jamaica has been very clear about what Jamaican rum is, and it is Jamaican rum. So, yeah. yeah. See them. Respect them.
1: And then, you know, then I saw somebody say, well, it's like, uh, you know, car parts come from (laughs) all over, and, you know, but we still... I don't even know what the point... Like, I don't know, dude. There's some really, like, (laughs) weird-ass analogies that people try to put in place to, like justify why they want to describe it a certain way and it's like i don't, I don't even like, like you, you
0: understand ca- slavery and rum is different than car parts right <laughs> yeah i don't
1: know. This is silly yeah. man and I, I don't know
0: you, i think you've seen me make my joke of oh well then everything is everything and nothing has any meaning so i drag a toaster behind me at the grocery store and pretend it's my pet like <laughs> right? you know the difference come on yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it's like it's 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 such mental gymnastics. It's such a reach. It's so much work. They're doing so much math yeah. to just not be accurate or correct. Um, right? It's a it becomes a power struggle more than anything about yeah. the rum, um, and it's that like is a- <laughs> that is us tackling a very minor issue in our industry. <laughs>
1: But it's one that's just so silly. It shouldn't even be an issue. Um, it's, it's, it's like, you so know, if, when you're planning a vacation, right? And it's like, yeah, you know, you typically would say, I want to go to Jamaica. I want to go to Puerto Rico. I want to go to, you know, Antigua, whatever it is. You don't say, you know what, let, just give, you know, hey, Google, give me a list of, of, of British islands. Yeah. You know, give me a list of British vacations because that's where <laughs> I want to, you know. You may, you may say I want to go to a Spanish speaking country, but that's talking about language, not, you know, not necessarily speaking of who colonized it. And I guess you are in a speak, way. But, people
0: know? speak different Spanish as different places.
1: It's true. It's true. <laughs> because if you if you tell me that um, if you tell me that like a Mexican, uh, if you tell me that, you know, a Mexican speaker speaks the same Spanish as a Puerto Rican, like they'll crucify you.
0: Oh, and Spain, right? it's a whole and I can animal.
1: <laughs> my, my ex was Mexican, and God forbid somebody told her she sounded Cuban or, or from Dominican <laughs> Republic. Like, God forbid. I, you know, God forbid my cousins from, from Valencia, you tell them that they sound like they're from Mexico. Like, you know, it's just.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so my husband, he lived in Spain, so he speaks Spain Spanish. And my yeah. father is a Mexican citizen, and he speaks um like del norte mexican spanish um but my dad also lives with an indigenous tribe who speak an indigenous language so some of them I
1: know that. that's cool
0: it's it's the whole thing <laughs> my dad is amazing also very complicated uh so um when my husband finally met uh some members of his tribe a lot of them actually spoke very formal spanish um, because they had kind of ended up being like taught from an audio book at the Denver public library when they came to the U S Spain, Spanish. And so it was really easy for my husband to speak with them. Uh, And he was like, you know, like I just, I totally like, they're very formal hitting the consonants. Like he -hmm. said, it was really interesting, like a very big cultural awakening. Whereas my father usually speaks, you know, Mexican Spanish or, uh, indigenous, um, different types of languages. And for folks who don't know, there's like over 200 languages spoken in Mexico. It's one hillside to the next. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, uh, but point made, like even that is like, there's so much more information there yeah. between Ketal and Kepasa, you know?
1: Yeah. It, yeah.
0: <laughs> Said with my very white girl accent. <laughs>
1: like, okay, yeah.
0: That's an accent too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is. It's a little um, demographic, I guess.
0: Right, right. It's like, well, it's like we think like, oh, they don't have an accent. It's like you have an accent, and it's yeah, just not yeah. the one you think it is. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's just not an accent to you because that's how you speak every day.
0: Right, right. So yeah. I, I it's,
1: it's like okay, put it this way to people, right? If you go to a, you know, it my dream, I shouldn't say other people. Like my dream. When people ask me about like menus and, and rums, you know rum menus and whatnot, it's like, I would love to see it a rum menu by country, because yeah. it's just easier to compare, you know apples to apples and oranges to oranges, and then seeing it any other way, right? Like you know you have it with agave spirits now, you have it with whiskey, so why? Like what is the like why is why is this so hard in rum? Like what is it about rum that makes it so? hard for people to do that.
0: And I think it's like, who do we give our time and attention to, to learn the nuance? And then who do we kind of wave our hands at and see is all the same? I think there's a huge issue um, with that in countries interacting with the Caribbean um, personally. And I think that when we think about how does someone read a menu, right? Like I'll sit down and be like, oh, I wonder if they have this thing. So then I wanna go look for that thing. Chances are, I know if it's, you know, Trudy Ann's new pot stilled uh, special edition Mount Gay, I'm gonna go look under Barbados. I'm not gonna look under Amber British, you know? (laughs) And then it's like, okay, they don't have that, but I'd like something with some pot still that maybe was made with some dunder and some funk and like has some power to it. Oh, cool, look what else is on this list of Jamaican rums. You know, and so to me, and then if I was like, oh, well, I also am looking for something with funk, you can also ask the person working who knows the collection. Or, you know, I'd pop over and check out, you know, maybe I'm looking for something like, you know, maybe the more traditional sort of Mount Gay offerings like XO because I just really want one, um, and then I'd be like, you know what, but I just saw that amazing seminar with uh, Antigua, and I really want to try English Harbor, so let me pop over there, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that that's where it's from, or someone can recommend it, um, even though they're stylistically different, um, so yeah, it's it's just interesting, like, like how do we read a menu? Every wine menu is done by region and country, every scotch menu is done by region and country. It's really interesting that we use these very outdated, heuristic, different treatment. um,
1: For rum. For rum. And I just, I don't know. And it's not to, again, I'm not proclaiming to be, have the answer for all classification and it's a perfect way um, because, again, even in Jamaica, you know, you have some multi-column still rum in Jamaica versus, you know, pot still rum, but. Which is
0: basically going to be the difference between like something very light and delicate and very neutral to something really powerful and heavy yeah. so and guess what those would all quote unquote be british rums and they'd all be very varied so okay maybe it's not perfect but the other system is not solving a problem that the other one is yeah, you know?
1: exactly and it's it it's like cars right like you drive a sedan or you drive a, a suv or a pickup like there's so many differences within that category, but it, it's easy for a consumer to kind of get that, okay, this is yes, I want a SUV. Okay. So these are these are SUV styles, right? These are SUVs. But you're not just saying like I want a car that's made in, in Europe or I want a car that's <laughs> you know, because hell, like, you know, Mercedes manufactures in the States, don't they? Some shit like that. So it's like, you know, you wouldn't define it by where. I don't even know. I'm just talking in circles. I just think that why not just classify it by country easier than classified by colonial system?
0: Yeah. And I think the fervent rejection of any change to the colonial system, it has such a pitch to it. I know that for me in my life and the work I've done on myself, when I see that pitch not sync up with like, we're not doing open heart surgery, guys. Like, it's not a huge deal. We can all take a breath. I know that it's actually about something else. And that's where it starts to get complicated and people get emotional and it can get really heated. So welcome to the world of rum. Uh, This is a, like we said, these are some of the easier topics that we work with every day. So it's always long and complex, but this is why I'm so thankful that we have connected and we are good friends. Uh, in this industry, Um, I think that we first met at
1: Tails, right? Yeah, um, Ian was putting on that seminar, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that's the first time I met you. I think that's the first time I really met Richard. I think I met him in passing in the lobby, but really it was, (laughs) here's a seminar, go. And I had only heard the joke that the last time you guys had spoken together, that Richard had talked the entire time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was, um, so the first year, first year I was asked to present at Tails, you know, and again, you know, big up Ian, uh, the global Rum ambassador. He's, uh, you know, he's always kind of, you know, looked out for me and and brought me into a lot of opportunity in in speaking and presenting. So, you know, big up yourself for that, Ian, Uh, thank you. But he, he, brought me on to a, a seminar which now in hindsight of course I wouldn't have a chance to talk it was you know Ian, Luca and Richard <laughs> like a, you, know, I, a lot. you spend 24 hours with those three you barely get a word in much less in an hour and a half presentation <laughs> hour, hour and a half seminar so I think the you know the the joke of it was that um, Richard never even introduced me so I was you know when I when I finally got a chance to talk probably about two thirds of the way in, it was like, I had to start with, hi, my name is, you know, and this is what I do. This is why I'm sitting up here. I'm not just, um, you know, keeping the seat warm for someone else. So yes, that was the first year of Tails. And then the next year was the one with you. And I was super excited because I had seen your name and, you know, seen this, you know, Maggie Campbell person who's doing all this amazing stuff, but never had the chance to uh, actually meet you or present with you. So yeah, it was um, Tails I want to say 2018.
0: Probably. What is time anymore? Does time exist? Is it a thing? It was probably 2018.
1: Yeah, um, yeah I, I think so. Because last year we were already you know, friends in 2019. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's how we met. Yes. And, uh, we've been fast friends ever since, which is really awesome.
0: I remember you tasted the sample I brought and you were like, Oh man, I like this. And I was like, oh my God, Sam from Worthy Park thinks it's good. I was like, very over the moon.
1: And now she's like, and now you're like, why did I even care what he said?
0: Oh, <laughs> hush. I still, I'm still like, what do you think, Sam? What do you, yeah. Will you try this? I have this bottle in my purse. Please try it because I know you'll tell me. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> which, that's
1: what friends are for, right? That's I, what I, friends I, are I, for. I each um,
0: and then it, I, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say. Then we we did um, uh, thirst last year together.
0: We did thirst last year, which was amazing. Um, that was the first time it was just me and you when we talked about sugar cane, and oh, we thought, that was
1: a, that was a very in depth talk that we had.
0: Dude, I don't think as like a professional rum maker, I had never seen that type of collection of information. About sugar, sugar cane, how it's grown. I think Thirst is going to be online this year. I've heard a little buzz about.
1: We'll see. Oh, really? yeah.
0: I don't want to like speak out of turn. I don't know exactly what the plan is. Um, we may be but,
1: editing this part out.
0: <laughs> I'll text Nick Corn immediately after this. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Thirst is really special because it is really intimate and really cool. And then there's really great people like. I know you and I always talk about Darren Swisher, Daiquiri and Daisies, yeah. and like what a fucking rare and amazing crew in the rum world that is. Yeah. So yeah, it's like you get people in the room who know shit about the rum industry. I'm like, where did you read that? Like that shit only like five of us know.
1: <laughs> you no, know, Boston, I was, I'm blown away with Boston scene, right? Like Bo- the first time I went to Boston, um I actually met Darren on that that first trip I went with uh Robin uh win from Toronto from Miss Things and uh we actually went went for a weekend and you know did some work and then went to the New England game uh with Bailey uh prior (laughs) Uh, so it was a fun weekend and you know that was the first time I met Darren but every time I've got to Boston dude it's like the Boston bar scene is 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 really dope and it's I think it's kind of you know I want to say it's like an underdog because, you know, you, there's, you hear kind of a little bit about Boston, but you don't really hear that much about, you know, Boston as a cocktail kind of as a bar, you know, the kind of knowledge capital. But, dude, I'm blown away by Boston every time I go there. Like, you know, the Lions, Lionsdale crew that was there, like last time, Shore Leave, um, obviously the Baldwin crew and all those, like the whole, and it's such a tight community.
0: Like, yes. I can really
1: dig it. You know, Eastern Standard, Hawthorne. I know I'm missing a ton, but those are the first ones that came to my head. But yeah, I just really love um, and was blown away by the hospitality that I got um, while traveling in Boston. And of course, like I name dropped Maggie Campbell, like the whole time I was there.
0: <laughs> I was like, yeah,
1: go, on, go on to go on a private area, go on to see Maggie tomorrow, you know, if you're friends, you know, you know I know Maggie. And everyone was super nice to me. Oh, well i'm joking every, everybody's everybody's everybody was really nice before i told them that i before i named drop maggie
0: <laughs> but we do we have a really incredible scene here and people are so real they're really invested it's like it's like this major metropolitan city right with like incredible galleries and amazing restaurants but like it feels like like a neighborhood bar. Like every bar feels like a neighborhood bar. And I really love that. And I think we get overshadowed by like New York, whatever. Um, But like, you're great too. I see you. Uh, But yeah, Boston is like, it's really special. And I Uh, love when people see it and get it, especially like people drink rum here. It's very
1: cool. Yeah. Um, It's like the, it's like a really... Little big city, yeah. Like it, you know. Like obviously, when you it, Boston's a major city, but it still feels like it doesn't feel overwhelming in that regard. Like it's like a a nice, cool, but kind of raw and real town. Like yeah, and I, I appreciate that like kind of greediness that you know people from Boston have. But like, dude, I spend a lot of time even in the suburbs, and like some of some of our the first accounts like retail wise to pick us up were like in the suburbs of you know outside of boston and i know everybody i don't want to speak out of turn because i know boston is very specific about where people live um like the whole boston cambridge thing confuses me
0: yeah camberville Um, and yeah yeah. (laughs) so i don't want to
1: speak out of turn and upset anybody but you know some of our like some of the accounts outside of the city were like the first ones to pick us up and for us that's you know, surprisingly, but surprising but in like a great way. um yeah but we have a great we have great distributors out there too. We have a, we have a great craft team out there with Origin yeah. that takes good care of us. So
0: yeah. shout out to them. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's right. I loved when you came and visited the distillery. That was so much fun um being able. Well, to-
1: you could have told me how fucking cold it was going to be. <laughs> I was so You're cold, cold
0: everywhere
1: that's true that's true and then, and then the funny part is like i sweat my ass off in jamaica like i'm always sweating but i like it and yeah then, uh, like that weekend it was november so like my bad for expecting november to be like mild i don't know i don't know if i thought i was gonna be picking apples in an orchid orchid or something but
0: not sitting outdoors at a football game freezing
1: yeah like i, I was cool, man. Like I, I like i don't think i could feel my hands for like most of the game
0: yeah yeah that that stuff gets brutal like and get real colds. Um, oh, and then
1: you go to the bar and ask for a hot tea, and people look like you like you're on drugs.
0: <laughs> They're like, what, "What? Why would you want that?" And you're like, "I need a hot toddy now."
1: Yeah, uh, not even a hot toddy, a hot tea. Like, give me a like. I just need something, like a peppermint tea or something like warm my ass up. <laughs> I didn't get it for the record.
0: <laughs> they were like, "You got a hot nut, buddy."
1: Yeah. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even, <laughs> even know, like, and the accent, like, I was so confused about what people were saying to me up there. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> for me, so I
0: have the occasional time in Maine where I'm, I'll admit, I'm, I'll ask my husband, like, what was that? What was that? And I feel terrible. I should know. Um, yeah. But it can get, it can get thick.
1: Yeah, um, That's the right word for it.
0: Yes, yes. So... Absolutely, I love that you came and visited our distillery. I'm dying to visit your distillery. I was just asked last night. I did an event with the Boston Rum Social Club, and they said, "You know, what is like for me, aside from my own rum, what is like a rum you have to have in your house?" And I was like, "Oh, Worthy Park, Worthy Park. Period. It's like it's got funk, it's got body, it's got aroma, and it's got a lot of elegance, and it's really versatile. Um, and I just love." the heart and spirit of your people, um, you know, I've been really lucky to spend a little bit of time getting to know um, Gordon Clark uh, and his wife, Nikki, the owners of Worthy Park. They're such kind people and they're so smart and thoughtful and yeah. um, deliberate and considerate. It's like very cool to see. I really appreciate them. But yeah, yeah. if I don't have Worthy Park on my bar, my bar is like, it's missing something. That's not right. It's not right. I can't make my drinks. <laughs> um, well,
1: thank you. Um, that's a huge compliment. Uh, and yes, you're always more than welcome. Uh, come between January and, and, you know, end of June, cause that's when we're in, in crop and sugar season. So that's a lot of action and activity uh, going on out here. Love it. Yeah. Gordon's great. He's great. He's a great boss to have. Great to work for man. He's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very opposite in terms of like approach to, you know, everything but uh it's good. it's a good it's a good balance um you know it's a great kind of balance and he's he's been super awesome about kind of teaching me everything um you know not only about rum production but you know sugar and and cane and, and just you know all the all the stuff i get to come talk to everybody about yeah you know, is is definitely from uh you know, gordon gordon has opened up the books for me so to speak
0: That's so important. And I feel like, you know, you and I, we talk a lot about the importance of, you know, taking care of our people and, you know, the value of labor. And I think that sharing of those higher skills, it like, it just shows so much care. And, you know, I think people who have employees it can often be the case that they just want them to do their job and their job only. And they don't want to teach them new skills because then they'd have to pay them more or then they could leave. <laughs> and it's like a weird hostage situation. And, and yeah, ownership. Like I know that my boss is the same way as Gordon, like wanting you to learn how the business is run um, yeah. because it's, you know, beneficial. It's a good thing. Um, oh, totally. so
1: and, and he'll tell you know, he says all the time, like he has no desire to, you know do the traveling that we do and and you know all the crazy multi-city multi-hop like multi-hotel travels which you know we tend to love but it's <laughs> not for everybody. Yeah. isn't it cool though like i love working for you know i still consider it, call us a small company when it comes to rum you know we're not small as a overall you know worthy part but as a rum producer, yeah, we're, we're a small we're company. You're still
0: small. Yeah, you guys yeah, are. Yeah, I think people misassume uh, your size. I think they also misassume Hamden and Foursquare's size. Like, you guys are intimate operations, but particularly yeah. Worthy Park.
1: Yeah, we're. And it's, you know, it's great. It It's cool. And you can probably attest to this, too, because when you work for smaller companies, like, you get. And again, this is not for everybody, but I enjoy it. Like you get to wear different hats, right? Like you get to do different stuff. And if, you know, the opportunity is there for you to do more and, and learn more if you, if you want it. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's important. It's always been important for my development and, you know, my past life as working in the hotel industry. Like I always loved, you know, it was like, well, what can, what else can I learn? Like, what else can I do? What else can I, you know, can I be exposed to?
0: Yeah. I love that. You're so, you're always learning and taking it in and growing. And I love that. I love seeing that as your friend. It's inspiring. Um.
1: Thanks, dude. <laughs> dude, my, waist, my waistline grows just as much with all these damn croissants you feed me. but it's all good.
0: <laughs> I'm like, I found the gluten-free bakery. Here you go. Cause I know you guys are always looking for those gluten-free treats, you and Gail uh, and yeah. Kate. So I, whenever my we waist. land in a city, I look it up and send it to you and you guys are like, God damn.
1: <laughs> yeah. but there's also nothing like a croissant like i just love croissants
0: yeah i know you do <laughs> like,
1: Nothing like you know the one thing i do love about european travel is a lot of the hotels that you know they, a lot of them offer breakfast as part of the packages still and they always have like smoked salmon and croissants and like all i need in the morning is just like croissants and smoked salmon like if i could have that for breakfast every day i'd be so happy <laughs> like so, that's yeah, my thing. I Anybody definitely. out there? You wanna? You want some kind of weird, funky rum that I have in my backpack? Bring me a smoked salmon and a croissant. <laughs> Not even so a whole like, spoon, Just like a slice.
0: Just a slice. We'll we'll put like a little cardboard box up. We'll prop it up with a stick. We'll tie a string to the stick. We'll put a plate of croissant and soaked salmon, and just wait for Zan to check it out, and just like pull the box.
1: Yeah. Oh, done, done. And I'm not one of those like smart mouse, mice or raccoons that will take the food and not get trapped. Like, like I'll be stuck under that box.
0: <laughs> and we'll be yeah. like, "Give us the rum." Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> croissant crumbs all over me.
0: Oh, uh,
1: adorable! Salmon and onions. Yeah. Yeah. How's that yeah. for a mental picture for your for your before evening dinner?
0: That's adorable. It's like a really cute raccoon.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) out, laying in a a pile of of crumbs, croissant Uh, crumbs.
0: Feeling joy. Gosh,
1: I just made myself so hungry.
0: Uh, You made me so hungry? That was delicious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Also have, you just also lost like 150 listeners to your podcast.
0: Yeah, they're like, where you gotta go eat
1: <laughs> no, no, they're like this is disgusting. I'm just now picturing Zan with laying in a pile of croissant crumbs, and I'm disgusted.
0: No, it's not disgusting. I'm always like, yeah. When you eat like that big delicious meal, you're like, yeah. I feel like people are like glowing, like they're happy. They're like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I have too many like my cat in my life. Like I see him go eat a big meal, and then he's like very like I'm so happy. I'm so relaxed. So. Maybe can I we, need to spend less time with cats. <laughs> can
1: you tell me, well you're not that crazy cat lady. You're definitely far from that.
0: I have one um, cat. I have one yeah, cat.
1: <laughs> but can you tell us how you got that name for your cat? Spaghetti? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um we were trying to think of a name for him and he is just like He is hilarious. He is like a vaudeville comedian. Like, I wish I could explain it better. I will send you a video of him trying to smell a flower, uh, from yesterday. Maybe I'll post it when I post this podcast. It is too cute. He's like trying to smell it, but like scaring himself with the flowers and then almost falling off the table. It's like Charlie Chaplin. Um, so he's just like this weird slippery noodle, and then he just has like spaghetti for brains, and... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he also loves to like crawl over this ceiling beams we have in this old farmhouse. So he's like the flying spaghetti monster. Um, That's and then, yeah, one day I just was like, I just jokingly called him, like, oh, look at that pile of spaghetti. And my husband was like, I love that name. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that so was the name he Did you have
1: had. a different name for it before?
0: We adopted him. So we were renaming him after we adopted him. So we were taking some time
1: to uh, pick a
0: name and get to know him. Um, and it was like, we were like, uh, ah, I don't really like that. I don't really like that. And then it was like, oh, the little pile of spaghetti.
1: Is, that, is spaghetti your favorite uh, pasta noodle?
0: Oh my gosh. I like, I just love pasta period all day, every day, every meal, I would eat pasta. My husband does not love pasta the way I do, it's like, it's a little bit of an issue. Granted, it's probably really healthy, because if it was just me, I would have pasta every night, night after night, and they'd be like, you have malnutrition, you need to eat a variety of food. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I love pasta period, but of course growing up in America, like, spaghetti is the go-to for sure, the spaghetti factory, (laughs) Yeah, the old spaghetti factory. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that,
1: yeah, um, I think that like, I, my, my challenge, I know we talked about gluten-free, and I, we've gone com- totally off topic with rum. I'm sorry if anybody... <laughs> um, but you have to understand, Maggie and I talk about rum all day, every day of our lives, so you're just listening to us having a random conversation.
0: And I love that we talked for an hour and a half before we started recording, and we're still yeah. not done talking about, like, everything.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. We're going to have to do a part two, but my problem, sorry, last point on spaghetti is my problem <laughs> with gluten-free pasta is that it's just, like, that texture is just not there.
0: It's not like there. I've
1: tried so many, many different types of, of gluten-free pasta, and it's, it's, I can't, there's, like, maybe one or two brands that I've come across that I'm like, this reminds me of. Of like eating a plate of pasta. So like I've I basically shelved you know the whole gluten free pasta thing and just like fuck it. Just I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna eat a big you know bowl of ravioli or I like I like ravioli. I like elbows. I like elbows.
0: Yeah um, elbows are good.
1: Penne penne's cool. Um spaghetti like noodles just get kind of messy sometimes.
0: Yeah. Big rigatoni, oh. so like oversized penne. Oh
1: uh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: That's
1: good. Do you do you pair your pasta with the type of sauce that you're gonna do?
0: Um yeah, many times I will. So, like my husband, he makes this incredible uh broccoli roman. <laughs> I love that, like, get ready for your rum pa- podcast, yeah. guys. We're gonna talk about broccoli romanescu. Um, so he makes this like uh Romano Broccoliano sauce. It's like a broccoli romanesca sort of really spicy sauce where it's like you, I'm not sure exactly what he does. He like sautés it and then purees it. And it's like crazy, really good, delicious. It makes this thick electric green sauce. Um, And that I really like on rigatoni. Um, I like marinara (laughs) on spaghetti. I like spaghetti and it's like stracciella. It's like, there's a special name for it where it's square cut instead of round cut uh bucatini bucatini is probably like my favorite pasta noodle um but i used to work in a health food store when i was like 14 and this was like at the start of the gluten-free era yeah as we know it now and there was one brand that like people swore up and down by and now that like gluten-free is a thing there's like these bigger more marketable brands But they still make this other style. And I actually think it's better. And my study partner for the masters of wine is gluten free. And I bring it to him when I see him. So the next time we are able to cross paths and travel, I will trade you a couple bags of gluten free pasta. If you'll get me a bag of worthy park sugar.
1: Done. Done All right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I love a good ravioli too. I, I don't like like a lot of like pumpkin or squash filling i like like cheese Mushu. Filling. Mushu
1: yeah, mushroom, exactly. oh fuck yeah
0: <laughs> we're like we just can't talk about pasta yeah. um
1: yeah.
0: and there's also i don't know if you've ever seen the video of the song about ravioli the cat <laughs> no okay i am sending you the song about ravioli the cat Uh, and that came out right about it was like it was like one of the first viral facebook live videos it's a guy singing to his cat in a bathtub and that came out right about the time we got spaghetti and so when we were like i kind of like that name i was like yeah it's kind of like ravioli so ravioli is just like
1: Did he have his ravioli in the bath or just his cat
0: so he had just the cat in the Bath. bath
1: Because I, I have a big issue with food in the bathroom.
0: Uh, you and I have already talked about this. <laughs> People really want to glimpse into like the quote unquote rum family. Just know that Zan and I have already had conversations about how we yeah, both are is... very against any food entering the bathroom, even if it's for a bath.
1: <laughs> like, even, if I'm, like, even if you're like chewing, like don't go into the bathroom.
0: I, we, I totally agree. We have discussed
1: this. I love <laughs> My kids know that, you know, we're very like open and, and, you know, kind of, um, we're like a wild
0: family. I love it.
1: But no food can cross that bathroom threshold in in the house. (laughs) Like, that is my hard and fast. Like, that will not happen. And (laughs) not, you know, you don't never like to say, like, because I said so or, you know, anything like that. But yeah, why not? Because I said so. Like, there's no food. (laughs) And my daughter, she went to visit her, our friends in Orlando and they ah, it hurts me to even like talk about this. like <laughs> But they gave the kids popsicles in the bathroom in the, yeah. in the tub while they're having a bath because she's like, oh, it's just easier to clean. I'm like, no, no, no. So they <laughs> I'm like, they sent me this picture and I'm like, I, I was on the road somewhere. I don't even remember what I was, but like I threw up in my mouth a little bit. I was like, that's why you have garden hoses. If your kids are that messy with popsicles, garden hose. And if it's too cold for a garden hose, it's probably too cold for a popsicle.
0: I love this. I, I think you have a very, very taught philosophical exposition and I thoroughly agree.
1: Honestly, I don't even know what that means, but yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but there's a, a Sesame Street book that Van, who is our, our two year old, reads. And it's like, you know, this, this picture book with like Ernie, or it's like uh, Sesame Street. So it's like Ernie and Bert. And Ernie, there's a scene where Ernie's in the bathtub, right, with his rubber ducky. And there's a fucking sandwich on the bathtub. Nope. And Van will <laughs> look at it and he's like, ew. Ew. <laughs> so I'm like, my job as a parent is done. done. <laughs> Like, that's all i want is them never to have food in the bathroom it is fucking gross
0: i love it i love it i love that we all yeah this is real life this is real friendship i don't
1: know, this is, <laughs> I don't know what you guys came here to listen to but this is what you're
0: getting this is what you're getting it's like um francisco terrazas from Paranubis rum i hope i'm not blowing up his scene but both he and i are like yo Paper towels are really expensive. You cannot be wasteful with a paper towel. <laughs> like we're both those people. <laughs> like,
1: oh man, no. I, I waste a shit ton of paper towels, but uh um, I
0: you I would lose my shit. I would be like, No, <laughs> you can't just use those. They're expensive. It's like trauma from my twenties where I like I couldn't yeah. afford anything.
1: Who did can I, have, can I tell you, do I have time for one more food in the of bathroom?
0: Of course, of course. This is, is a podcast. We can do what we want.
1: Oh, nice. This is like Joe Rogan level. We're going like four hours here. Um, <laughs> I was at Miami Airport, right? And, you know, went to the bathroom as one does when you're traveling. And I saw a guy at the urinal. Um, so he was standing up. He was in the bathroom. <laughs> I guess for those of you that don't know what a urinal is. And there was... A Nathan's hot dog cup and hot dog. No.
0: No.
1: No. I walk in, and of course, I notice that because my whole food in the bathroom like phobia. <laughs> and I'm like, and I said to myself, wow, that's gross. Somebody left their food in the bathroom, and Homeboy picked up the hot dog mid
0: No. No.
1: Eat <laughs> it ate it and that was like he ate it above the urinal like (laughs) wow
0: so do you understand how adorable zan covered in croissant crumbs is a really sweet image but like this nathan's hot dog at the urinal at the airport like yeah that's
1: i won't even tell i won't i won't bash the airline because it's not indicative of the airline or (laughs) department he works for i won't i won't go into that but Yo, it was like, it was traumatizing. Like, I was like, I couldn't, like, I've I've been to some very clean bathrooms, but there's no bathroom that would ever want me to eat a hot dog it Would make <laughs> me want to eat a hot dog while at the urinal. And I get that sometimes you press for time, like when you're on break, like I've worked in retail, like I've, I've, or, you know, gone on a 15 minute break, eating a, a burger and fries and drink and gone back to work in 15 minutes. So I get the rush, the time rush, but. Yo, there's no, there's nothing. I don't. I would miss my flight before I had to eat a hot dog in a year at all. Like that's just that's just not like it's. Like I'm done right now. I need to go brush my teeth.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel that's so
0: nasty.
1: Disgusted. But thank you for allowing me to get that off my chest.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm always here for processing, venting, or if you just need someone to listen.
1: This is like a therapy session that I don't have to pay for. Great. <laughs> that,
0: that is like all of our friendships.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um,
1: yeah, so yeah, you want to talk about rum or something? Or, or uh, kind
0: of- let's talk a little bit about Resistance Served, which is talking about rum. Um,
1: yeah, um, awesome. That um, one, I mean, yeah, you can explain. It. You probably do a much more elegant job than I will.
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think we both can speak very lovingly to it, but I think that, you know, we knew each other, we were friends, we traveled a lot, but I'm really thankful for you and me and Sly's time, um, and Ashton's time together at Resistance Serve because I think it was like, I, it's like, you know, I was never rich enough to go to summer camp, but it sounds like what people talk about with summer camp where you like make friends in a way that like is really deep and really meaningful. Um, Mm. And like, I definitely feel like a very like, like a very intimate care based connection with, with you guys, um, particularly because I spend so much time with the three of you uh, IRL, but also, like, even just people that I didn't maybe spend the most time with there, like, when they reach out now or we, like, connect, it's like, stop everything, give this person all of your time, this really matters, like, it's cool, that vibe that's carried on, um, but I just really, it was, for me, I'm so thankful that that happened before all of this crisis um, because it really, like, it totally changed me, it changed a lot of my relationships, but it particularly, I felt very, like, close on a different level with you, um, and yeah, I just, I'm so appreciative of that experience, and so, Resistance Served Simplistically is, uh, it's, Part of Radical Exchange, so Radical Exchange is the organization and Resistance Served is sort of the summit they do every year and it highlights the history, contributions, perspectives, and realities of black and brown folks in hospitality Um, and it's in New Orleans and it was the freaking coolest event ever you and sly you want to talk a little bit about yeah how your first talked and turned into a second day and and how we made everyone fall in love with rum <laughs>
1: yeah, it was um it was really awesome um i think yeah not to rehash what Maggie said but you know it it first of all getting you know seeing what was going to happen with that conference it was, it was like wow this is this is pretty remarkable because there's really no you know we go to a ton of conferences every year but there's none that's focused on you know black and black people and brown people in the industry so it was really cool and, and it superseded just the bar and liquor industry because you had people from the culinary side um you know from all different walks of life but were interested or, or wanted to be a part of it and and i got invited by ashton to be a part of um rum and it was it was along the lines of like reimagining rum and and sly um you know was there he was on the panel with me and, and we we're basically just going you know, to be talking about kind of the history of rum and modern day rum and you know kind of you know just like shit that we normally talk about and um and tracy from uh you know she was there as as our as our moderator and I'm completely blanking on her last name.
0: Franklin, Franklin from uh, Glenfiddich.
1: Yeah. Yes yeah i don't. sorry Tracy I'm so sorry for to this Um I don't know why I, I just blanked on your last name but yeah she was our, our moderator, which is really cool um, you know and Asly and I have a good rap and you know we, we talk about rum and shit for hours on time so we didn't have any concern about like our vibe and like kind of how what we wanted to talk about and you know we met with Tracy uh, online like we met her virtually and then, you know, we, we chatted with her before and, um, you know, so we had a good idea and we're like, all right, it was pretty straightforward. Like, you know, let's go do it. And, you know, our talk, and I think, sorry, before I go into like the talk, what the one that I think the really cool thing about, uh, resistance served and the reason that you feel so bonded with everybody is you are with everybody. So it's not that, you know, there's different seminars at the same time or people are doing different things, like it, it's still intimate enough that you know, everybody's in the same room. So just by sheer presence and, and, and proximity to everybody, like you feel a bond with everybody, you know, and, and a lot of the topics that were talked about, you know, were triggering for people uh, and brought up a lot of emotions, I should say. Um, so, you know, when you're in that small of a group, uh, you know, all day with people, and you know having lunch with the same group of people having breakfast with the same group of people like you know you just by you know facial recognition or, or knowing that you're in the same room like you kind of share that bond right and right. that was you know and that was kind of before and we were you know the last seminar of the day so you know, there's a lot of a lot of feelings you know going into it and and, and both uh, across the spectrum of emotion um, that was felt in that room and Sly and I did our talk and, you know, we got to the questions and it was a really, you know, there's, you know, standard questions, nothing really too crazy. And, um, and one kind of, I guess one question related to, and I can't remember verbatim how it was asked because it was, you know, it was, a, it was quite a long question, but it had something to do with, you know, about Chinese in Jamaica and, you know, I answered it and I don't even, again, like the the details of the verbiage isn't, isn't the point of, of this particular answer, but, you know, the answer I gave to the person, um, I, it didn't satisfy what they were, their question. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and they rephrased it. And I remember listening to the person rephrase it and, you know, Tracy and I kind of both had that Aha moment at the same time, and that is when I I looked. You know, I, my answer to the to the question to the person was, "Oh, you're asking me because I'm I'm Chinese," and you know, saying that it just it 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 kind of like, for lack of a better phrase, kind of like blew up the room in a way because it just we um, said the thing, and, yeah.
0: and that was something I took away from Resistance Served was like say the thing. Yeah. Um, And you were like, "Oh, I heard what you said. You're saying this, and like, yeah, the room. Like, it, I remember like grabbing Jeff Barry's hand because, uh, yeah. like, I also Jeff Barry was there. It was amazing to spend that time with him and Anine. Yeah. Like, oh, like I love really, them. Uh, I love them. I yeah. love them. I love that they were there. I love that they participated. Um." Anyways, I remember grabbing his hand and being like, we're going for a ride. <laughs> like, I like, is going to be, yeah. we're going to get into it. And yeah. I love Ashton as a leader and how she makes sure oh everyone feels heard. And like, yeah. the way that room opened up with so many people sharing, you know, yeah. I'm Jamaican and the Jamaican identity is different than maybe what you're projecting onto it. I think,
1: Meg, I'll I think let you Meg- speak to that. No, no. I was gonna say. I think you need to kind of dive into a little deeper, just so people have a full yes, understanding. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, the question, and it, and and when you talk uh, again, not to, we can have a whole other podcast on on race and and relations and colorism and everything. But I think it it was spurred because as a visible. Regardless of my background, you know, and, and I guess most people would look at me and say, "Oh, he's he's Asian of Asian descent," whether they know I'm Chinese or mixed or whatever. And and the person was basically asking why I was felt like I could represent a Jamaican rum without being black. Yes. Without being visibly black, and I think that was, and what spurred a lot of emotion in people was because it 's a question that and again i'm not i 'm speaking based on what people told me not you know not speaking for everybody, but just and, and what was presented to me after is it 's a question that they would be confronted from on on a daily basis in their lives in America, coming from mixed race, whether it was a grandparent that was white or the other way around a grandparent that was black or whatever their mixture was and it it would always boil down that you know I think a lot of what happens in America is it's literally very black or white, right? Like everybody is kind of put into this box. And, you know, when I asked well, as I was answering the question and we got more into the discussion and, you know, Ashton did say, she's like, listen, you don't have to answer any, you know, you don't have to talk about this if, if you don't want to. And, you know, I, I definitely did because I thought it was important. And, you know, my, my response to her along long line was, you know, if going back, you know, into my family history and heritage. Like, I, I don't need to discuss this with everybody here because this is not the point of the program. But, you know, yes, there is, is there, you know, black descendants in my family. Yes. And and when I phrase the question as, of, of you know, am I not black enough for you is where I think that's what got a lot of people, I wouldn't say emotional, but that's what kind of hit home for a lot of people because it's the same questions that they are confronted with on almost on a daily basis, right? And again, this is, you know, not me speaking for everybody, but some of the feedback that people came to me afterwards. And, uh, you know, within the, the audience, you know, answering questions was a lot of people who came from, uh, were part Jamaican, are born in Jamaica, or lived in Jamaica, had Jamaican background, and or visibly looked black, but would say like, hey, I'm Chinese Jamaican as well. You know, and this is, it's different. You know, in Jamaica it's not perfect and we have our issues with, with, you know, classism and colorism in Jamaica as well, but it's much, the experience that we have in the Caribbean is very, very different than the American experience. And it was eye-opening I think from both sides to to both people that lived in America and had no experience with the Caribbean and people in the Caribbean that didn't have much experience with America, it was very, very eye-opening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it was, I think that it, it just revealed like, you know, it's not a monolith. There's a lot of diversity of experience everywhere and diversity of understanding. And, and I think it was so healing and so many people felt really seen. Um, And I think that we get scared to have these harder conversations because of the initial discomfort, but In the end, we really end up feeling, you know, so much better. Um, Even if there's lingering stuff, we still have to process and work on and, and think through. And I love that ultimately, one of the things that happened during that seminar was it became kind of clear that not a lot of people had a working relationship with rum. Um, you know, this isn't like a star tender event. This is like no. real world people working real world in restaurants. Um, and so like a thing I love about resistance served, which at first was really hard for me was that there was no schedule printed. Uh, no. I was like, no, like, where's the schedule? I need to be guaranteed about the experience I'm going to get before I commit to coming like whatever. Now I'm like, that was so foolish, Uh, and it's like, you you buy a ticket because you want to be there, and no matter whatever happens, it's going to be great, and you're going to be together, and I remember struggling with there being no schedule because, you know, I would have scheduled meetings around the event for work, and that's not the deal. Like, you come, and you're there. And you end up hanging out at dinner and going out dancing and everyone stays together. Like you're there to be there and that's it. And that's what that time is for. And the schedule is a live Google calendar that updates as the situation updates and that agility and flexibility is amazing. And I love that Ashton was like, I remember you guys sitting up in the balcony and her flagging me up there. And you guys were like, hey, let's just do an educational rum tasting tomorrow because it seemed like a lot of people maybe didn't understand some of the intricacies of rum as we were discussing some of these harder conversations. Um,
1: That was so fucking cool.
0: That was (laughs) the coolest rum event I've ever (laughs) been to. And it wasn't about seeing someone famous or doing some technical whatever it was about being together. So would you talk about that? Cause that was like, that was,
1: it, was, it was awesome. So, you know, that's how this whole run hour thing with si and I kind of got started because we always joking about it and Ashton was, yeah, this is like, again, five o'clock after this hugely heavy and emotional day. And you know, you, it, it was a lot to process and still process. And she's like, I want you guys. And you know, Ashton, it's like, She's asking you, but she's kind of, like, telling you, like, this is what's up. This is what we're going to do. And, and, and like, <laughs> in, and it's, not in, it's not in that authoritative way, but it's, like, you're going to do this because you're going to realize how dope this weapon is. And, yeah, you know, I love her for it because if anybody else would have been, like, yeah, tomorrow, kind of on the fly, you're going to do a rum chasing for 140 people. Ooh, it's not seated, We don't really know what rums are available. We don't know how it's going to go. But, yeah, you guys are going to do that. And sign and are like, okay, <laughs> we're gonna do that because Ashton said yeah. we're gonna do it. But, but you know, credit to all the crew that you know the behind the scenes crew on it, because you know Maggie was our run runner the next day, like driving all across uh, New Orleans trying to find a run for us. Um, Otis was there batching. Um, uh, steve-o was there helping batching, and then there's other a couple other people that you know I, did, I never really officially met, but were a big part of the behind the scenes stuff too, and. It came together and, and when I did it, we're like, All right, you know, we're different, you know, we're, we don't want to make this the same kind of boring, uh, rum, sorry, I shouldn't say rum tastings are boring. Uh, we don't want to have a, we want to make an exciting uh, tasting that's different than what people are expecting. Uh, well, this is, that, that's a better way to phrase it. Uh, yeah.
0: It which uh, just yeah. wasn't going to be the same, right? Like, yeah. when we're at Resistance Day. Served, you're there to see something you can't see anywhere else. And, and you guys were like, we're going to do something so original.
1: So, uh, Which, again, ties back to the whole classification thing because we did it by country. <clears throat> so what we wanted to do was explore how... We wanted to break some of the myths for people. Um, you know, again, how you define color. of rum was one of them. And we wanted to show people that you know, a white rum is a white rum, but it's not the same white rum that you can get in every country. So we went with um, the, we chose a country, uh, rum from New Orleans because private area wasn't available. Um, Jamaica, Puerto Rico. Um,
0: I picked up all but, our yeah, friends' rums. So it
1: was awesome. Yeah. So we did, you know, we had, uh, obviously rum bar uh, overproof from Jamaica. We had saison uh, from New Orleans. Um, you know Bacardi. Colin was there for a hot minute. Uh, we had Bacardi um, for the white rum uh, from Puerto Rico, and then we had a clément from um, Martinique. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think actually for Saint Lucia, we went with Admiral Rodney. I don't know. How, I think. I don't oh, I went why.
0: for I went for Admiral Rodney
1: yeah yeah i went big i was
0: like we're doing this for sly
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so it it was cool because every how we did the tasting was we had a straight pour of it of every rum and then we also did it in a daiquiri so we because we wanted people to understand that this is what the rum is on its own but this is how it changes the same cocktail uh, for every drink and how we set up the room instead of just having you know classroom style with everybody sitting down is we had, you know, different parts of the room, like a table in, in a different part, of each, different part of the room for each country. And we had like, that was like the island, that was a country. So we we walked everybody around the room in a way. And in typical, you know, Sly and i's fashion, you know, we had a, a loudspeaker and, and before we traveled quote unquote to every country is we played the music, we played a hit song or a, a representative song for each country. So it was, you know, we're appealing not only to, you know, the taste of the rum, but, you know, the whole sensory experience, you know, the physical experience, just trying to get people kind of in a, in a cool little vibe. So we went country to country, which was table to table. And we talked about a little bit about how each rum was produced, the family behind it, the people behind it, and then, you know, just tasting. And I, I think it really opened up people's eyes to, again, how much, you don't know about rum, you know, when you're not dealing with a rum, you know, enthusiast crowd. And, you know, we have a lot of work to do in educating people, but that is the fun part about this business. And, and I feel like it's a blessing that we have now these platforms where we can get into that. But yeah, dude, it was so awesome. Um, doing that tasting, it was so much fun. Like tasting for 140 people on the fly is not easy. And, you know, we had great support and we knocked it out of the park. And it was so much fun.
0: It was so much fun. Everyone was so happy. Gotta give it to Ashton. Like she decides she's going to do something and she like wills what she wants. She makes it happen in a way that like, I've never seen any other organization or organizer or educator do.
1: Um, You know what I love about what she did too was she didn't, you know, she didn't, Te- she didn't just tell us how she wanted something done like you know she's she respected our knowledge and personality that we wanted to bring to it and she's like i'm gonna give you guys a platform but you all do it the way you want to do it you know but like she created that opportunity for us to to showcase and to do do it how we wanted and that is huge i mean you can't you know it would have been so much harder if we're restricted are told how we how the program was supposed to go
0: yeah and that's what makes the event like so creative and she just trusts smart people she works with smart people um she makes it happen and yeah I mean I met people who were some of the most interesting people in the world and I don't know how else I could have could have met them you know We, we,
1: we we wouldn't have period we wouldn't
0: have we wouldn't yeah. have, like, uh, not in, not
1: with the bond and the, the, that we, we all developed with each other through those three days.
0: Right. It was amazing. It was so cool. And yeah. And I'm just glad some of our rum family was there together. And, and yeah, like I felt way closer to Jeff Barry after that too. And in oh, totally. and totally. everyone, it was, it was great. Um,
1: and, and, and do you had... want to tell them how the, it changed the trajectory of the last day?
0: Oh, the last day was amazing. Um
1: which I missed because I had to fly to Miami, but
0: it was a lot. It was, yeah. Next year you're staying the whole time. <laughs> I yeah. think I think everyone who heard what happened on that last day is like, God damn it, I'm staying the whole time next time. Um, because I honestly didn't know much about resistance surf before I got there. Um and so I also was like. I I yeah I definitely next time I'm going to stay in the hotel where everyone else is staying and you know it's it's not the usual conference and everyone wants it to be the same they're like well I need to see the schedule and da da da, da and it's like if this is not what you're signing up for right. um so the last day um there was going to be some programming and um actually one of the programs was going to be Ashton and I were going to do a live episode of our show. Um, But it just, it had been a really powerful growth of the last two days. It was, everyone was processing so much. Everyone had experienced so much. So many conversations had been had. And it just, Ashton comes from this place of care, which is so important, are your actions, Coming from a place of care. And she really wants everyone in her charge as her guest, as a true hospitality professional, to have a beautiful experience. And she really cares about if people are harmed. And I cannot tell you how many conferences you and I go to, and that is not the case. No. Someone has a terrible incident at a bar and is really hurt by someone's behavior and wounded people are walking around the event and no one's dealing with it, you know? Um, That's a common thing. That's a, that is a pleasant story compared to a lot of the shit that can happen um, on the road at these events. Um, And she comes from this place of care. She wants to get things right. And so she, you know, I have no, as a person who is not the professional that she is, she is a professional. This is what she does for a living. Um, she does equity work. She just knew how to fix it, which like blew my mind. So what we did on the last day, (laughs) all like 200 of us, uh, went around the room and just said how we were feeling and like, yeah, how do you feel? What are you thinking about? And there were so many incredible stories and impressions and context and, just all this truth to everyone's experience. Um, and everyone felt seen and heard. And I think that that is what humans want. Um, and it was amazing. The energy was beautiful. Uh, Ashton had so much grace, um, And yeah, like, it's interesting this, this young black woman who, um, she lives in New York, but, uh, is Haitian was sitting behind me and I I, like kind of knew she was there. She kind of knew I was there, but we didn't really talk throughout the whole event. And when I went to New York to do a talk with Kate Perry, she saw I was going to New York and she said, Hey, I met you at resistance serve. Can we meet up for brunch? And I was like, oh, you're at Resistant Serve, stop everything, cancel my meetings, I will be at brunch, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how it is now. We really make time for each other. And we had this really beautiful brunch and we had such like a authentic connection and real conversation because of that work we had done at Resistant Serve um, Mm -hmm. to like be present and and be connected. And she said, you know, she kind of like, we were both kind of tearing up at the brunch and she was like, she's like, I feel like this is so weird. All I know you from is like, you sat in front of me and we cried for like a couple hours. <laughs> like, I feel like we really know each other. <laughs> and like, and that's like what resistance serve sort of does, you know, it's like, you get these connections. And I feel like I, I knew her and saw her and could talk to her and be present with her in a way that like, I would not have had the awareness or authenticity, or ability to, like, do before, Um, and it was really cool to see you and Sly do sort of your first uh, rum hour Instagram lives, how many people from Resistance Served showed up, it wasn't a rum event, it was, like, a Resistance Served event,
1: yeah, Uh, it's, it's cool, it's really cool, man, and, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting here with the biggest smile on my face, just, uh, because it was such a, Again, it's hard to describe it, you know, the experience, but, uh, you know, it's just the bonds, I feel like that I can, you know, with all the crap that happened, and you know, I don't say crap, but with all the stuff that happened and the way it went kind of in a different direction, I think was the best thing to ever happen because it really, I feel like bonded me with so many people that, yeah, we would have recognized each other and we would talk afterwards if that didn't happen, but... It was just, there's definitely a different connection that you have with people having that yeah. shared experience.
0: Totally. Totally. So,
1: yeah. Thank you, Ashton.
0: Thank you, Ashton. You were yeah. like an incredible woman. Yeah. And a truly like, I, I, yeah. People who know her know how singular she is and that it's all real. It's not, it's not an act. It's very, very real. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I love that after resistance surf, she came with us to Miami. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that we weren't ready to say goodbye.
1: <laughs> yeah, Miami was so cool, man. I mean,
0: uh, yeah,
1: also because it was like the last event, uh, but you know it was great to continue that uh, connection into another another venue, and and you know those bonds are awesome.
0: Yeah, and I definitely my new lesson is I don't care what event is happening right after resistance served next time it happens i'm gonna need like a couple days <laughs>
1: work. oh yeah i remember <laughs> you know, not, again not saying this disparagingly, but the the next night when you guys all came to miami and i was in uh i think we're all at jaguar everyone was at jaguar sun i think it was the event for um green zone the green yeah. zone event yeah, and I remember I I buckled up into sly as I was walking in, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, who's here? You know, blah, blah, blah. and I I was asking if, oh, did Maggie get here yet? And he's like, yeah, but bring a box of tissues. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in, in the best, like, again, we weren't. It wasn't that like he was making fun or poking fun at you, but it was like, yeah, uh, she's back there, but yeah, bring a box of tissues. Yeah. Like, it was a lot that Maggie was processing and. And going through and then she saw me and it was just like waterworks again. And like, <laughs> oh my god. And I get, yeah, there's people around us who didn't know us and they're probably like, What the fuck is going on with this? How you know, what's going on with these two over here?
0: These people have been hugging for five minutes. Yeah. What is wrong with them? <laughs> She's
1: crying, you know, I don't know. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing. It was so amazing to be back with you guys. Like I'm so glad that you guys were there. If I had been there by myself, it would have been real hard. And then I got the text from Ashton. I'm flying in. I was like, yes. Yeah. <sighs>
1: we continued it. We continued it.
0: We continued it, and we will always and forever. And in fact, Ashton is texting me. She must know we're talking about her.
1: <laughs> her, ears are, her ears are ringing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk as Yeah, is. I
1: hope, and I hope your <laughs> listeners made it through our random uh conversation that we just had.
0: It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now they know the secrets of croissants, smoked salmon, our favorite pasta shapes. Um all the good stuff. And now I I have to actually Next phone call we do, I need to find out what your favorite pasta sauces are because we did not get there. So
1: <laughs> yeah, well next time we'll say some we'll say some juicy we'll,
0: <laughs> we'll say some juicy delicious good details
1: yeah.
0: uh, for the next one. But uh, but yeah, I love you, man. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay.
1: Awesome. You know you know how to find me.
0: Okay. Right, well. Bye. All right. Later. Thank you for spending your time with me today. And I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Zan Kong. We've got more technical and detailed podcasts coming up for you. And in fact, next week we'll be covering our seasonal gin in depth. You can find us at Privateer Rum on Instagram. My personal handle is at Maggie, or Privateer Rum on Facebook. Join us next time. Cheers and thanks.